0: We're going to begin a brand new sermon series today uh, that's going to take us through the month of November entitled Red Letters. And uh, we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus and uh, we're going to see some amazing things that we kind of begin to drill down, kind of analyze and ultimately apply the words of Jesus Christ to our lives. And so let's look together uh, in Luke chapter six, kind of our foundational scripture for this study. Jesus says this, he says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? When you don't do what I say. And I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on a solid rock, and when the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation, and when the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of Ruins. And so Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say? And so this series is really all about us diving into the red letters, right? If you've got an old school Bible, you probably know that when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you're going to discover the red letter words, which are the words of Christ, right? And if Jesus said it, we ought to live it. Amen? If Jesus said it, we ought to live it. So we're going to take the next four weeks and talk about how do we dive into and ultimately begin to apply the the teachings of Jesus Christ to our lives. And let me just encourage you also in this. If you use the U uh, Version Bible app, any U Version Bible app users in the house, if you use the U Version Bible app, let me just encourage you in this. There's a little tab where you can pull up more options on that app. If you click on events, then you can tap into our Liberty Church Sunday morning sermon notes. It has all the notes, it has all the scriptures. You can add your own notes, you can save it to a file, you can email it to yourself. It really is a great resource resource for you to use to go deeper in studying and hopefully digging a little further into what you're hearing here on Sunday morning. So the words in red, right, the red letters are the words of Jesus, and Jesus said this about his own teaching. Jesus said, whoever comes to me and listens to my teaching and then follows it, right, who does what I say to do, is like a person who builds their house on a Rock. And so Jesus said that His words are literally this, they are literally foundational teaching upon which all successful Christianity is gonna be built. If you're gonna build a life that's gonna stand against the storms and adversities of life, you're gonna to have to build your life on the red letters of Jesus. If you're gonna build a life that's gonna stand against the storms and adversity of life, you're gonna to have to build your life on the red letters of Jesus Christ because it is His words that become foundational Stones upon which we build our lives. So let's look at our first point on your outline today. Let's just talk a little bit about who is Jesus. So Jesus is, right, he is the son of God. He is the son of man. That's what he called himself over and over throughout the Gospels. He's the savior of the world. He is the king of kings, right? And he is the Lord of lords, and he is the perfect example Of Christianity. And I believe this I believe that the ultimate goal of every Christian should be to be like Jesus, right? I believe the ultimate goal of every Christian is to be just like Jesus. Jesus and I can think of no better way for us to begin to live our lives just like Jesus than to begin to dive into those red letter words of Jesus Christ and recognize something. This is what I want us to see this morning. Not only are Jesus's words powerful because they are right. John 6 63, Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. The words of Christ are powerful. In Luke 6, we just read that the words of Jesus are foundational, right? They're the foundation stones upon which we build our lives as followers and believers in Jesus Christ. But I want to give you another thought this morning. As I was praying and preparing, the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, Keith, not only are Jesus' words powerful and foundational, but Jesus' words are insightful. I want you to think about that word for a minute. They are insightful. The words of Jesus give us an insight into literally the heart and the will of God the Father. It gives us an insight into the heart and the will of God the Father. And not just for me and for you, but for every person on planet Earth. Why? Because the Bible says this. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? It's the will of God that whosoever would believe on Jesus Christ would be saved, born again, and have eternal life. So one of the things that the words of Jesus does for us is Jesus' words give us an insight. They they give us an opportunity to look into the very heart and the will of God for every person on planet earth. Because Jesus said this about himself. He said, I never say anything and I never do anything that the Father hasn't said and the Father doesn't do. And Jesus actually told the disciples, Thomas specifically, he said, if you've seen me, guess what he said? You have seen the the Father. So the words of Jesus are powerful, and the words of Jesus are foundational, but the words of Jesus are also insightful. And this is what I want us to grab. I don't want us to just get principles to live our life by. I want us to hear and feel the heart of God. Because I believe that when we begin to study the words of Jesus, we get an opportunity, an insight into the very heart of God, so we can begin to see, sense, hear, and ultimately even feel God's heartbeat. For us as his children, amen? So that's what we're going to do together over the next few weeks. So let's start together in Matthew chapter 6. So in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read 10 verses today. And from these 10 verses, we're going to kind of pull out what I believe are three powerful truths that reveal the heartbeat of God for every person on the planet, specifically for me and you that are listening to him today. And what we're going to do is just a little bit different. Instead of reading all 10 verses, we're going to take a couple verses at a time, and we're going to kind of dissect this scripture as we kind of work together and dive into the very heart of God, as we get to peer, peer into, literally, the heartbeat of heaven, as we hear and see and know the will of God for our lives. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24, Jesus is speaking, the words in red. He says, no one can serve Two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other. You will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at that next point on your outline. Jesus said, we can't serve two masters. Let's talk about that for a minute. You can't serve two masters. You said you're going to be loyal to one and despise the other. You're going to be faithful to one and reject the other. But it's impossible, Jesus said, for you and I to serve two masters. So immediately in this scripture, Jesus challenges us to do something. He challenges us to come to a place of making a decision as to whom we will serve, right? Joshua Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And behold, God said, I set before you this day, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. So immediately in, John, in Matthew 6, Jesus brings us to this declaration, you can't serve two masters. So we've got to make a real conscious decision today to whom we will serve. And let me just say this to you today, that is a privilege and an honor and a blessing that we have as New Testament Christians to choose this day whom we will serve. Now let me real quick give you a definition of what Jesus meant when Jesus said you can't serve two masters because we don't have a good image or picture or definition of what it means to have mastery and slavery. None of us have ever had a real master, and none of us have ever really been a true slave. But in Jesus' culture, when Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, everybody in that culture understood mastery, and they understood slavery. They understood exactly what it meant to have a master and to be a slave. They saw it every day of their lives. And mastery and slavery is a whole lot more than employer-employee, okay? It's a whole lot more than parent and child. It's a whole lot more than just husband and wife. It's a whole lot more than just government and citizen. Because this is what I want you to see. In biblical times, if you were a slave and you had a master, let me give you three things your master did for you. Your master was your provider. Your master was your protector, and your master was your promoter. Everything that you received as a slave came through the hand and the care of your master. If you were a slave, you did not have a choice to go get another job. If you were a slave, you did not have a decision to make that says, I want to create a new opportunity. I want to get an education. I want to pursue a new career path. I want to take a new, uh, new opportunity over here. If you were a slave in biblical times, there was no choice. There was no option. There was no plan B. You had no decisions to make. Why? Because you were a slave and you had a master who owned you. You were their property. And they were your provider, they were your protector, and they were your promoter. You moved up or moved down the food chain based on their decisions, their choices, and their attitude and their care towards you. So when Jesus said you can't serve two masters, and then he compels us to choose our master whom we're going to serve, he is bringing us to an amazing place of revelation. Your master is your God. And he is your provider, and he is your protector, and he is your promoter. And then what's interesting about this, Jesus then boils all this little thing about being a master, being a slave, you're going to love one, you're going to hate one, and then he makes this amazing statement. He says, and you cannot serve both God and money. And that's interesting to me. It's interesting to me because Jesus could have said anything. Jesus could have said, you can't serve God in the world. You can't serve God and the devil. You can't serve God and the government. You can't serve God and yourself. But Jesus didn't say any of those things. Jesus said you can't serve God and money. And if you understand, Jesus never misspoke. He always said what the Father wanted him to say. And I believe the reason that Jesus said you can't serve God and you can't serve money is because of this simple truth right here. Every generation... Every generation, beginning with Jesus' generation 2,000 years ago, leading up to our generation that we're living in right now, 2019 in the United States of America, every generation is bombarded with the temptation to make money our God. Every generation is bombarded with the temptation to make money our God. To look to money as our provider, to look to money as our protector, to look to money as our promoter instead of looking to God. Let me just say it this way. Your master is the one you look to for promotion, protection, and provision. And it is so easy. It is so easy for us to begin to look to money as our God. Now let me just tell you what Jesus didn't say real quick. Jesus did not say there was something wrong with money. Jesus did not say money was evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, but money's not evil. Money is not positive or negative. Money is not good or evil. Money is neutral. Money is a tool that allows good people to do great things and allows evil people to do horrible things. Jesus did not say there was anything wrong with money. Jesus just said you can't serve God and you can't serve money. You can't have two masters. You can't serve two gods. Why? Because it's impossible for you to be loyal to both. Whoever is your master, whoever is your Lord, whoever is your God will demand your loyalty. There is a loyalty that goes with mastery. And this is what I want us to see today. I want us to see the reality of that temptation. The reality that every generation faces, right? Because money is the one thing that everybody thinks about every day. One thing everybody thinks about every day. Whether you live in a third world country, whether you live in the United States of America, Whether you're five years old, 15 years old, 50 years old, 120 years old, everybody thinks about money or the things that money can or cannot buy every single day of our lives. And so that's why the temptation is so real. And so Jesus makes this amazing contrast. You can't serve God and money. And what's interesting is... To validate that thought, that the reality of that temptation. Have you ever heard somebody say something like this? And It's crazy because we've all been guilty of it. You ever heard somebody say, you know, I either need God to do a miracle or I need to win a lot of money. I either need a miracle or I need to win the lottery. I mean, people actually say that. And isn't it crazy? Isn't it crazy that we say, I need a miracle or money? Isn't it crazy that somehow money gets placed on the same plane as a miracle from God? How in the world can money do what God can do? But yet, we may not always say it, but we do think it sometimes. I need a miracle, or I need to win a bunch of money. I need a miracle, or I need a raise. I need a miracle, or I need somebody write me a check. I need a miracle, or I need money. See, Jesus, I believe in all of his wisdom, was bringing to the forefront the reality that one of the greatest temptations we will ever have is not to go out and worship the devil, but to make money our master. To look to money as our provider, our protector, and our promoter instead of looking to God. Now, let me give you the rest of that statement. If money is your master, I want you to say this. If money is your master, money will enslave you to worry. Money will enslave you to work. Let me, let me give you a little statistics of some research that I've done. Statistics say this. This is, this is interesting. Uh, statistics say, uh, well, let me just give you my opinion first. Think, think about people that we know. If money's your master and you don't have enough money, then you worry about not having enough money, right? How am I going to pay the bills? How am I going to put food on the table? How am I going to get to work? How am I going to do this? How am I going if, to. If money's your master and you don't have enough money, you'll worry about money. Now what's crazy is research shows that people that are multimillionaires, you know what their greatest worry is? Money. What? You mean the guy that's broke, busted, and disgusted don't have two pennies to rub together? He's worried about money. And the guy that's a multimillionaire is over here worried about money. How in the world are both these guys worrying about the same thing? When one guy doesn't have any money, this guy has more money than he could ever imagine to spend or blow in the rest of his lifetime, and they're both worried about money. This guy's worried about what he don't have. This guy's worried about how does he keep and maintain what he does have. I want to tell you why. Because Ecclesiastes says this, he who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. <laughs> See, if you love money more than you love God, you'll never be satisfied with money. And it will enslave you into a place of worry. And again, now here, here's the key. Remember, there's nothing wrong with money. Money does good or money does evil based on whose hands it's placed in. But it is the love of money. It is the mastery of money. It's when I look to money as my provider, my protector, and my promoter instead of looking to God as the source of every good and every perfect gift that comes into my life. Because the moment money becomes my master, I will be enslaved by worry. A little research I ran across, I thought this was interesting. It, it said that, uh, that when you make money, there's, there's three little segments here, from nothing To about $75,000. Say say you make $25,000 and you get a $5,000 raise. Statistics prove that the person that got that $5,000 raise, they feel better and happier about their life. And that $5,000 raise adds to the quality of their life and their living. From 25 to 35, from 35 to 45, from 45 to 55, from 55 to 65, from 65 to 75, they found that statistically to be true. Every little bit of raise that you made somehow raised the quality of your life, it made you feel more secure, it added value to your life, and you were happier because of a new increase in salary. But from 75,000 to 150,000, this is what they found out. There really wasn't much of a difference in the quality of life. And there really wasn't much of a difference in the quality of happiness or the feelings of stability that those people had. So from nothing to 75,000, every little raise made you happier and increased the quality of your life. From 75,000 to 150,000, there's really not an increase in the quality of your life, and there's really not an increase in that now you're happier because you have more money than you did then. But here's what's crazy. From 150 up, Especially when it gets to the 250, 350, 450. From that moment up, here's what they found out. They found out that more money after that $150,000 mark actually made people more stressed than it made them more happy. I'm like, that's crazy. And then I thought, well, God tests me, and I think I'll try it, Lord. Amen. Come on. Right? I'll be the exception, Jesus. Come on, Lord. Because there's nothing wrong with money right money's not good money's not evil but that I thought how interesting because here's the lie that every commercial on the planet sells you if you had more you'd be happier every commercial on the planet sells you that same lie if you had more you'd be happier well how much more do I need to be happier here's the answer just a little more just a little bit more, 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 and you'll be happier. How many of you know it's a lie? <laughs> Statistics, research actually proved there comes a point where money actually creates more stress than it creates joy. And again, the problem there is not money. The problem is, is if you're loving money, <laughs> the more you make of it, the more you're tormented by it. Because now you've got to maintain what you've got because you don't want anybody else to get it. So Jesus, look at that next part of that statement. When God is your master, he liberates us from worry. He liberates us from worry. So let's talk about how that works. Let's read on. And we're going to figure out how Jesus liberates us from worry. Matthew 6, verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Aren't you far more valuable to God than the birds of the air? Let me just rephrase it. Doesn't God love you more than He loves the birds in the air? You're more valuable. You have more worth. You are greatly loved by God. More than the birds are there, but yet God feeds the birds are there. Look at verse 27. I love verse 27. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? How many of you understand worry never adds, it always takes away. Worry never adds, it always takes away. The moment you shift into a worry mindset, that worry robs you of peace. It robs you of joy. It robs you of clarity. It robs you of being in a place of faith. How many you know I can't be worrying and believing in God at the same time? I can't be in a place of worry and be in a place of faith, and if I'm not in a place of faith, I'm not in a place I can receive from God, so worry robs me. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit said, Keith, he said worry is one of the greatest schemes of the enemy that robs the people of God of the blessing of God that he wants to pour out on. Can worry add one moment to your life? No, it can't. Look at verse 28. And why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow, and they don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, all of his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers which are here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things. Saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear, these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. How many of you understand that whatever dominates your thoughts determines whether you have peace and joy or worry and anxiety? If all you think about is what am I going to eat, what am I going to wear, what am I going to do, what am I going to do, how am I going to do it? how am I going to pay this, how am I going to get that, how am I going to go there, how are we going to do it? how, 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 how? If all you think about is how you're going to do all these things that you need to do because you're looking to money to be your provider, your protector, and your promoter, guess what's going to happen? If worry dominates your thoughts, it's going to rob you of joy and peace. The scripture says God will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed or set on him. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father already knows all your thoughts. Knees. Jesus said, look at that next point. Jesus said, don't worry about everyday life. Now, let me pause for just a second and tell you what he didn't say. He didn't say, don't plan. He didn't say, don't prepare. He didn't say, don't strategize. He didn't say, don't have a vision. He didn't say, don't work. He didn't say, don't work hard. He didn't say, don't get up every day and go to work. He just said, don't worry. Don't worry, yeah, you need to plan. The Bible says in Proverbs that a prudent man foresees evil and prepares or plans ahead. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Right, so Jesus did not say don't work, don't plan, don't prepare, don't do these things. Jesus said just don't worry. Do all those things, do all the things you need to do. Do all the things that wisdom and and common sense tells us that we need to do in order to succeed in life, but at the end of the day when you've done all you can do, don't worry. Don't worry. Why? Because worry robs you. Worry never adds. It always takes away what God wants to give and what God wants to do in your life. So he said, don't worry. And this is why he can tell us not to worry. Look what he says. Don't worry because God loves us, right? Are you not more valuable than the birds of the air? Isn't that what he said? God loves you. Don't worry. Why do I not have to worry? Because God loves me. He knows our needs. Look at verse 32. Your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Now we know at Liberty, we've learned this, right? God doesn't respond to our need. God responds to our faith. But here's the good news. God knows your need. He's not blind to your need. Kelly and I, we've got, uh, uh, our our daughters are grown up, married. they got their own little families, amazing things. And we don't always know what they need because they don't live in our house anymore. But God knows. God knows every need that you have. Every bill that you've got to pay, physical needs, spiritual needs, financial needs, emotional needs, relationally, God knows every need that you have. God loves you. God knows. And look at that last part. And he always takes care of his own. God takes care of his children, amen? God takes care. I don't have to worry. Jesus said, let God be your master. If God's your master, he is your provider, he is your protector, he is your promoter. If God is your master, you're loving him, you're following him, and you're serving him. And you can know if God is your master that he loves you, and God knows your needs, and God is going to take care of you because he always takes care of his own. Look at Psalms 23 verse 1. We know this one, right? David, who was a shepherd, made this statement. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, I have all my need. Why is that important? David knew something as a shepherd that we don't know. He knew that the condition of the sheep was determined 100% by the care of the shepherd. The condition of the sheep was determined 100% by the care of the shepherd. The Bible says we are the sheep of God's pasture. Now if you study sheep, it's almost insulting because they're the dumbest animals on the planet. Sheep are 100% totally dependent Upon the care of their shepherd. And David, who was a shepherd, could say, the Lord is my shepherd. I will have no needs. I have all that I need. Why? Because David knew that the the provision, the protection, the promotion of the sheep was 100% determined by the care of the shepherd. And if you had a good shepherd, guess what? You had good sheep. And you know what Jesus said in John chapter 10? He said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We don't have to worry. Why don't we have to worry? Because God loves us. He knows our needs and he always takes care of his own. Let me tell you one of the hardest things to do. Something that we do instinctively, and I believe it was put in our hearts by God. One of the hardest things on the planet to do is to not take care of, Of the people you love. One of the hardest things on the planet to do is to not take care of the people you love. You wanna know why there is so much enablement in addiction? There is so much enablement in addiction because it is almost impossible for us not to take care of the people we love. It is built in us, I believe, by God. God put that in us. We want to take care of the people we love. And God takes care of the people he loves, and he loves you. And if we would be honest and just think back over our lives, I know Sunday morning, 930, we all look really holy in here, but we didn't always look this holy, Right? And everybody in this room has got a past. And the truth is, if you'll think back to your B.C. days before you came to Christ, when you were in sin and you were rebelling against God and you were fighting God and you might have even been cursing God, isn't it amazing that in in those moments when you were resisting Him, when you were literally destroying your own life, God still took care of you. You're still here today. You should have been dead because you tried to kill yourself a million times with the choices and decisions that you made. You should not be here today, but by the grace of God and the love of a heavenly Father, He took care of you even when you weren't taking care of yourself, even when you were cursing His name. Now, how much more... (laughs) How much more can we receive the love and care of God when we stop resisting Him and we start submitting to Him to be our Lord and our Savior? How much more can we receive what He wants to give? So let's look at our next last two scriptures Matthew 6 33 and 34. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he, God, will give you everything you need. Verse 34, so don't worry, there it is, so don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings its own worries, and today's trouble is enough for today. Seek first the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously, and God will give you everything that you need. Look at that last point on your outline. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, live righteously, and God will give you everything you need. Why? Because God's provision, God's protection and God's promotion, I want you to see this, are the blessings we receive. and I won't pause there for a second. They are the blessings we receive, not the rewards that we earn. They are the blessings we receive, not the rewards that we earn. Ephesians 1 says that God has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus our Lord. The scripture teaches us that Jesus became sin so that we might be made righteous with God. God laid on Jesus the sins of the world, the wrath of God, and the punishment and the judgment of our sin so that he could pour out the blessing of Abraham upon all who would believe. Now, we will be rewarded for how we live and what we say and what we do. But I want you to understand that the blessing of God, His provision, His protection, and His promotion are not the rewards that He gives us. They are the blessings of God that He has poured out on the earth to those that will receive it by lining their hearts up with Him. Look at that last part. They are the blessings we receive when we serve God, stop worrying, and start living life God's way. I want to close with this little statement, a little story I heard years ago. Somebody said years ago that God no more chooses whom he will bless than the sun chooses whom it will shine on. How many you know God's not up in heaven saying, Brother Curseball, I'm going to bless him. I really like him. Daryl, you know, I don't know. Your attitude was a little bad yesterday. I think you need to suffer. Ronnie, you know, come on, Ronnie. I mean, bald head and all that stuff. I'm just not sure. Nick, I mean, yeah. Been a good week, Nick. I think I'm going to bless you. How many know God's not in heaven doing that? God's not in heaven picking and choosing whom he wants to bless. God's not in heaven picking and choosing who he wants to curse. God is not in heaven picking who he's going to bless more than the sun, S-U-N, picks who it's going to shine on. Now, if you ever get a chance to go to the beach with me and Kelly, you will find out she loves the sun and I love the shade. I'm a little more of a sun lover now than I used to be. So Kelly will find the sun and I will find the shade. And at the end of the vacation, you can see very evidently who experienced the blessing of the sun and who hid from it. Here's the truth. In Matthew 6, Jesus is doing something. Jesus is giving us insight into the heart of God, into the heart of God so that we can be positioned in the light of the, not S-U-N now, the S-O-N, so we can be positioned in the light of the sun, so we can fully receive everything that God has for us. How do we do it? We serve God, we stop worrying, and we start living life God's way. If we'll do those things, you know what Jesus said? It's not a reward that you receive. It's a gift that you get by just simply positioning yourself. And the heart of God in this scripture is that God wants to bless you. God wants to prosper you. God wants to liberate you from worry and fear and anxiety. And He wants to put you in a place where everything that He has can be poured out into your life. And we receive it by faith. Because we believe that if I serve God, if I stop worrying, and if I start living the way God's called me to live, I'll be right where He wants me to be. And everything that God has for me will be mine. And I can fully experience His love and His grace. I want you just to bow your heads today. Bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. I want to ask you two important questions. Number one, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith? That sounds wonderful and that sounds great and I would like to grab hold of what you're just talking about. I'd love to come into the light of Jesus and let the Son of God shine down on me. But the truth is, the truth is, I've acknowledged that there is a God, but I've never surrendered my life to the Lordship of God. And maybe money's been your master and maybe the world's been your master and maybe selfish ambition's been your master, but you realize you've not been loving, serving, and following God. Jesus has never really been your Lord your master, your savior. And today you say, I want to make that change. Today I want to make Jesus my Lord, my savior, my master. I want to love, serve, and follow after him. If that's you today, I want to ask you to do something very simple, very powerful, simple because you do it every day. It's powerful because right now you're about to do it as an act of faith and God's going to change your life. This is what I want to ask you to do. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord, savior, and master, I want to ask you just to stand to your feet right now. Just all over this building, just stand to your feet. Just a simple act of faith that says today, I want to make Jesus my Lord, my Savior, my Master. I've served a lot of things, but I want to commit my life from this moment on to serve God. If that's you, I want you to stand. This is a monumental moment because it's this moment that God will use to change your life forever. When Jesus becomes your Lord, Savior, and your Master. He's the best provider. He's the best protector. He's the best promoter. There's no one that even begins to compare to him. And if you want to know him today as your Lord and Savior, just stand right now. We're about to close in prayer. But if the Holy Spirit's dealing with you and you know right now God's talking to you, this is your moment. Just stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here today, and I realize that most of us in this room today are here today, we're Christians. You've already made that decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But I want to ask you today, how well are you positioned to really receive what God has? Who are you looking to? Have you allowed worry to come in and rob you of faith and confidence in God? Have you stopped living God's way and started living your way? I want to challenge you today as a believer to make those minor or even major adjustments in your life to reposition yourself, not to earn, but to just freely receive everything that God has. Father, today I want to get in the light of the sun, and I want to receive all that you have. So, Father, I declare your blessing, your favor, and your grace over every person. God, we confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. We thank you for saving us, for forgiving us. And we declare today that you are our Lord, Savior, and our Master. We will love, serve, and follow you. And I thank you today for little divine alignments and readjustments that we can be fully positioned to receive all that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.